Have a seat. I'm going to slide this over. I'm going to trip over it. First, they make me get off the stage if I talk too long, and now they're taking my space. I'm just kidding. Um, a couple weeks ago, JT came in and preached for us and did a great job. Yeah, he's not here, just so you know. Um, and uh, before that, Dave Upchurch preached for us in January, did a, did a great job. Uh, Colin preached, uh, Tracy preached before that in, in December, and, and Colin preached it before that. And, and, uh, and so we have been kind of having someone uh, every, every month, someone else come up here and, and, and preach. And so today, uh, I decided to invite Mark Weber back to preach. So now he said no. So first service, he said yes. He came up and preached the best sermon I ever heard, but apparently he, he likes them more. So no, I'm just kidding. We're glad to have you back, though. Um, but what I, when, I, um, when I see other people preach, and especially if, if they do a good job, I, I really like to um, uh, try to figure out how they go about their process, their preparation. Um, you know, do they, uh, do they memorize everything, or do they write it out and then make an outline, or do an outline first and then write it out? It's kind of uh, just something I like to do because I want to get better at it. And uh, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, most famous sermon, Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7. And his disciples, they, they got to hear his great storytelling, his great preaching. And you know, so I thought what they would ask is one thing, and, and then whenever I read Luke 11, um, this, is, this is the request they made to the great preacher. Lord, teach us to pray. That's interesting. The great, probably the greatest speaker of all time, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Not, how do you talk to people so well? How do you talk to God? How, how, do, you, how do you talk with Him? They didn't ask about, you know, does, uh, how do you prepare your sermons? Uh, does, uh, does, does, God, does the Father tell you the night before, or, or do you just go up there and wing it, just throw it out there? No, they, they wanted to know how He talked to the Father. How do you pray? And so we've been in the Sermon on the Mount the last couple of weeks, and last week we looked at Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 was our, our core verse. Now, I want to read that because today you'll see a lot of follow-up. Uh, it really is kind of a, almost a two-part series. Matthew five twenty says, Jesus said, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's a, that's a, a big statement there. But as we looked through the, the passage and, and the whole sermon, or much of the sermon, and other cross-references, we, we kind of came to the realization that, that, yes, we have to be more right with God, um, but that only comes through our faith in Jesus, who makes us right. It's not based off of what we do. But there's a lot more to this passage, because if you look at the context, we could see how much Jesus was calling the disciples to a deeper commitment. And so we're going to keep going with that idea. See, right after that verse, we had looked at these six paragraphs, but I'm not going to read through them all. But the, the headings in our Bible, it says murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, eye for an eye, and love for enemies. And in each one of those, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, or this is how you see it, but I tell you. And he, he shows the disciples the meaning. Uh, not how can you most, how can you best follow the rules, but how can you have a deeper commitment uh, to God? And, and so he continues then in the next three sections, we're going to look at some of this today in Matthew chapter 6, 
there's these headings, giving to the needy, giving, yeah, giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. And all those are another step in how we would have a deeper commitment to God. And so today we're going to look at prayer and what that looks like. And so starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, again, this is a big sermon. Maybe it was preached over multiple days, maybe at the same time. It, either way, it's all Jesus' words, and it's all to his disciples and the crowds who overheard. Well, earlier on, we looked at this last week. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And now he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Which one is it? Do we want people to see our good deeds or not? Do we want people to see how we live or not? Well, it's the, it's the follow-up. We, we don't let people see our good deeds. It says to be seen by others. But instead, we let people see, that, see our, our good, good deeds so that God will be glorified. So it's your motive. Again, no one really can tell you uh, which one you're doing. Only you know. So is it a show? Are you doing it so that people will like you more or think, look how great he is? or that they will know who God is more and see how great he is. And so we, almost lost my, my place here, we get into uh, the, the prayer section then, um, and, and some of the same words we're going we're gonna to see here. So starting in verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, and here's these words again, to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This idea here is just, it's not a show. If, I would say if, if you're praying more in public than in private, then there's probably an issue. If you only pray when other people are there to, to see you, there's probably an issue. If, if you go to restaurants and, and you pray before the meal, but then you go home and you don't pray before the meal, there's probably an issue there. I'm not saying you have to do either, but I'm just saying, why are you doing what you're doing? That's what Jesus is questioning, or, or at least telling the disciples to question themselves. It's a self-evaluation here. And then, the, and then we get to uh, what is known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and, and this is what it says, and, and many of you probably haven't memorized. There's a lot of different translations. I'm going to read from the NIV, and it says this. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There it is, the Lord's Prayer. Before we go any further, I want you to notice that there are no singular pronouns in the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't say I, it doesn't say me. There are, there are two people groups or, or groups. There's, there's the Father, there's God, and there's us, the body of Christ. Now, th this really matters because as we break down this, this prayer, you're going to see some of the barriers that I think keep us from having an effective prayer life, um, and you'll see why the Father and us 
is so important. And so he, he doesn't say memorize these words, but if you do, that's great because you'll already have a head start. Because what I want to do is give you five words out of the Lord's Prayer that will help you. If you could just learn these five words, you don't have to memorize the whole thing. And as translations change, uh, you'll still have it. Uh, but five words that help us to have a deeper commitment in our relationship with the Father through prayer. And so it starts out, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so Father is the first word. This is very important. This is, this is the most important word, I think. Who are you praying to? We might say, Almighty God, or Master, or some might make a joke about it, and big guy in the sky. No, Father tells us who we're praying to. It's this relationship. Jesus says, I'm praying to my dad, and guess what? You are too. You say the same thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, some, some may, have, may have no relationship with their father, and some may have a, a bad relationship with their father, so you might say, well, I don't, I don't really want to pray to father because that doesn't maybe feel good. But it, it shouldn't be that way. We, we all long for, and God set up our lives in a way that everyone has a father. And, and although we have a broken world that robs many people of that, we all have a father who is a provider and a protector. We all do. And he wants us to come to him. And Jesus says, you go to him. Now, you may not want to because you don't have a father, so you don't know what that looks like, or you, you know your father and you wish you didn't. We all have the same loving Father, and as the body of Christ, this is where it starts this relationship, we get to go to Him. And so the second thing we do is, is we praise Him, and I don't have a word for this, but uh, if you want to make a note and write praise, that's fine, but hallowed be your name. And, and we do this all the time with other people. You know, we might, we might look, at, look at something that was made, like if I knew who made that piano, I, w I would say, hey, you did an excellent job with that, or whoever made that stage design. And you, you, you put that together really well. You did a good job. Or I might look at someone and say, I really like your hair or your outfit's nice today. See, we do things, not flattery, but you recognize the goodness in people. And then guess what? Your relationship with them gets better. And so if we're going to have this relationship with God, we can look to his goodness and it helps build the relationship. It also helps us to see how good he is and to remember. As we remember it, well, then it's even better to go to him. And so it starts out with Father, to have a real conversation and a real relationship. The second word is from your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and it's kingdom. We have to know what we're praying about. We have to know what God is about. In John 14, 14, Jesus said, You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's a, that's a bold statement, anything. What does that look like? He says, in my name. So how do we know what is from Jesus, what is of Jesus, what God is about? I, I think the first filter and the best filter is don't pray anything that is not in line with Scripture or that's opposed to Scripture. I mean, maybe we pray for no war. Matthew 24, 6 says there will be wars and rumors of war until the end of time. Maybe we pray for the end of poverty, but Jesus said in Matthew 26, 11, the poor will, be, will always be with us. So it doesn't mean that those things are bad, but the Bible specifically tells us things that if we pray for, we will receive. So maybe we should start to focus more on those. Like James 1, 5, if we would ask for wisdom, we would receive it. Luke eleven thirteen, 13, 
we pray for the Holy Spirit, and we'll receive him. Luke twenty two forty and First Corinthians ten thirteen. Pray for an escape from temptation. Matthew nine thirty seven to thirty eight. Pray for the ability to make Jesus known. So the Scripture becomes our filter in knowing what God's kingdom is about. Timothy Keller wrote about a preacher named George Whitefield, who's considered one of the greatest preachers in church history. And in late seventeen forty three, his first child, a son, was born to he and his wife Elizabeth. And Whitefield had a strong impression that God was telling him that his child would grow up and, and be a preacher of the everlasting gospel. He felt it in his heart. He knew God said this to him. So in his divine assurance, he gave his son the name John after John the Baptist, whose mother was also Elizabeth. But when John Whitefield was born, George preached a sermon on the great works that God would do through his son. He knew the cynics were sneering at his prophecies, but he ignored them. Then at just four months old, John died suddenly of a seizure. George was, was grieving, but very convicted about how wrong he had been to count his inward impulses and his, his intuitions as being equal to God's word. He realized that he had led his congregation to do the same thing. Whitefield had interpreted his own feelings as God speaking to his heart. Not long afterward, he wrote a prayer for himself. He, he prayed that God would render this mistaken parent more cautious, more sober-minded, more experienced in Satan's devices, and consequently more useful in the future labors to the church of God. Now, Timothy Keller says about this that the, the lesson here is not that God never guides our, our thoughts or prompts us to, sh to choose wise, wise courses, courses and action, but that we cannot be sure he is speaking to us unless we read it in the scriptures. It's such a strong filter. Our feelings, our emotions, our hearts, well, the, the Bible says our hearts are deceiving, cannot be trusted. The scriptures can be trusted. So we have to start there. And in our prayer lives, we, maybe we could read the scriptures and pray through them and, and let God speak to us instead of our feelings and our thoughts. Our prayers have to be about God and for his glory and in line with his will. <clears throat> the next word is give it, from give us today our daily bread is, is give. First we know the Father, we know who we're going to, and then we, we try to understand his kingdom and what he is about, and then we ask. We can make requests. See, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the, the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. He says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you, give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. We have to pray boldly. We have to go to God. We are showing faith when we go to him and ask and keep asking and don't stop asking. But we want to do it in line with, with what he wants. We, we pray for his will. George Mueller um, tells a, a, a story of, of prayer in his diary. He wrote, I'm not going to read the whole entry, but it basically it went like this. In November of 1844, he began to pray for five people by name specifically. Every day, whether he was traveling or sick, he prayed for these five people by name. Eighteen months passed, a year and a half, and the first was converted. 
that's great. That's a long time to pray for the same people by name to be converted. And 18 months, nothing had happened. And then finally one. Five years passed, and the second was converted. Man, so that's six and a half years he prayed for these people. Six years passed before the third. Could you imagine? So that's six and five and one. That's almost, that's 12 and a half years had passed, and he's praying for these same five people every single day to be converted. Do you think it's ever going to happen? I thought, that's amazing. That's so long until I read the rest of it. 36 years later, he wrote that the other two, son, sons of one of his friends, were still not converted. But he wrote, but I hope in God, I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. 36 years. In 1897, 52 years after he began to pray daily without interruption for these two men, they were finally converted. But after he had died, he saw the, he saw the fruit of this, of this prayer life, of being connected with God of th- for three, and two he missed. But James, Jesus' brother James said, you do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives and that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. If we trust the Father, ask Him. As He answers, or maybe He doesn't answer fully or the way that you like, it's this relationship. It's showing that you do have faith, that you trust Him. But wouldn't it be a shame if God had something for you that He's ready to give you and you just never asked? Wouldn't it be a shame if, if there were someone that you could reach out to that you have an opportunity to share the gospel with and you never ask? You never ask God to help. We have to ask. He is willing, but we have to go to him. That's how we get in line with God's will. And Jesus keeps going, and, and these last two words I'm going to share, these are the, the solutions to the barriers of an effective prayer life. See, the the barriers of an effective prayer life, I think, are grudges and sin. And the the solutions are in his model. He says to forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And so the next word is to forgive. The only part of Jesus' prayer that he explains after he finished. He said, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins your Father will not forgive your sins. So, Kevin lent me uh, $100,000. I really appreciate that. Um, that. That means a lot to me, but I can't pay Kevin back. And, and in this time, by rights, uh, because I can't pay him back, and he's ready to collect, and the time has passed, he could have me thrown into prison, and he could sell my family uh, into slavery to help uh, cover some of that. And, and, uh, and I need more time, and I need help, so I'm, I'm begging you, please do not send me to prison. Uh, I, I don't want to go, and, and please don't sell my family. And you know what Kevin does, being the, the nice guy he is. He says, you know what, well, I'm just going to cancel your debt. You don't owe me anything. I really appreciate that. Thank you. But um, Laura owes me $100. Yep. And... Uh, and she doesn't have it, but the time has passed, and I'm ready to collect. And so you know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the same thing. I can, I can have you thrown in into prison and have your family sold into slavery, 
and, and so, um, uh, and, you know, to help cover that. Yeah, your family's running. This isn't really, <laughs> really going to happen. <laughs> and, and Laura begs for mercy. And, you know, being the nice guy I am, no, no, I'm not that nice. It's $100, and, uh, and so I'm not going to forgive you. So I have Laura thrown into prison. How would, you, how would you all feel had you seen that happen? What would you think about me? What would you do? You know what, what the people did? The, the, this is actually a story in Matthew 18, uh, 21 to 35, if you want to write it down. Um, they went back to Kevin and said, hey, um, he actually, um, here's what he did to Laura. And, and so, you know, what Kevin did, he, he came back to me and had me thrown into prison because I didn't show the same forgiveness. Now, we aren't forgiven because we forgive, but think about this. Who forgave first? Kevin forgave me first before I went and lived among the people. And, and, and I didn't earn that forgiveness. He gave it to me. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were forgiven. That's the gospel. But we can't possibly think that someone else has wronged us more than we have wronged God. We can't, we can't possibly think that, that we shouldn't forgive someone else, even though God has shown us that example and shown us that love and even at great cost. See, I could never pay back what I've done to God. That's, the, that's our sin. That separates us. But he paid it back through Jesus. And then when we go out and we live in, in relationships with other people and we don't forgive them, what are we really saying? I don't really appreciate God's forgiveness. Uh, that, that I'm better. That I'm better than these people. Or I'm better than God. I mean, think about the message that we're sending there. So I think what Jesus did here, he put this in here to tell us, Forgiveness is a huge barrier in your prayer life. I think about when, when uh, I'm driving through Lincoln with, with my daughters, and we go by McDonald's to go to Aldi's or Walmart, and, and they're, they're, they really want to go there, but, you know, they're fighting, and they're not getting along, and I just don't want to deal with it anymore. And, uh, and so do you think we go to, to McDonald's on the way back when we're leaving town? Well, yeah, we do, because, um, because I don't want to hear them anymore, and that usually helps. But... No, if we are not willing to live in harmony with each other, uh, then it shows us that we're not really about God's kingdom. And, and we, we don't need anything to do God's work because that's not what, re- what we're really about. You see, if we choose not to live in harmony with people and forgive others, then we're not really about God's kingdom. And so why would he, why would he answer our prayers in any way if we're not trying to do anything in his name and about him and for him and for others? Remember, it's about the Father and it's about us. It's not just about me. And so that's the, the first big barrier there. The last barrier is, is sin. And, and the prayer ends this way, or near the end, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So the word is deliver. Isaiah 59 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. If forgiveness keeps us from good relationships with other people, sin keeps us from a good relationship with God. It's like when a child does something wrong at school um, and, and they, they get in trouble and they know when they get home their parents are going to find, they're going to know. Someone's going to tell. Everyone always tells. It's probably on Facebook already. Um, people know. So, so they get home, and what do you do if you're that child and, and you got in trouble and you get home? Uh, where, do you, where do you go in the, 
in the house. You, you get out of the house. You go to a friend's house. Uh, you go hide in your room. You don't sit on the couch and wait for your parents to get home and, and so you can face their, their, uh, their punishment there. Because we have guilt and, and maybe we have fear. What do we, if I actually go to it, uh, if, if they find out, you know, what's this going to be like? What's the consequence going to be? But when we go to the Father, we already know how he's going to respond. See, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When you confess to the Father, you already know. He is going to forgive you. He's shown that through Jesus. We have been fully restored through our relationship with Jesus. But even those consequences, everything feels so much better. Not only does, does he forgive us, he purifies us. It's not, it's not just about salvation. This Sermon on the Mount helps people to have a deeper commitment in their walk, in their daily walk with him. And so this is, this is to help us to have a relationship with the Father every day, regardless of who you are, what mistakes you've made, who your earthly father is, you have been forgiven and you are loved. And so you can go to him with no hesitation. And if you feel like you're not good enough, well, you, that's wrong. Because it says right there that we have been forgiven and that he has made us right with him. He has purified us. You're forgiven and you're loved. And he wants to talk to you daily. That will help us to have this daily relationship. Jesus didn't say, learn these words and recite them. Maybe don't ever think about them. Just say them and you're good. He said, this is how you should pray. And so these words are a guide to help us. So let these words guide you to a deeper commitment. Allow the word Father to remind you that you are a child of God. Allow the word Kingdom to allow you that you are part of a much bigger story. Allow the word Give to allow you that God is willing. Allow the word Forgive to, to remind us that, that we are in this together as the body of Christ. And allow the word deliver to, allow, to, to remind us that God has a better way to live. Allow all these words to be a filter of a healthy and, a, and growing relationship with our good Father. We thank you so much for who he is. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. Uh, you are perfect in every way. And, and, and I say this because I look at, at the scriptures that tell me uh, that while I was a sinner, you sent Jesus. While I lived apart from you and pursuing my own desires, as all of, us, all of us have, while we live this way, you said you still love us. And so, God, I thank you uh, for your heart. I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for showing us a better way to live. Let our hearts, let our motives and our actions point to you, and let our lives be a reminder and be a light to those people who have no idea of what it means to be loved, to, to those people who don't know what it means to have a loving father, someone who really cares. Let us be your hands and feet. Thank you for Jesus, and it's his name I pray. Amen. Would you stand